Welcome to the podcast. I'm Isaac Carroll, and this is What Do I Know? You know, it's funny. God teaches us things in some of the oddest ways. I find recently he has been teaching me some scriptural truth through some life lessons. And, you know, once I finally figured out what he's teaching me, he reminds me that I have this platform he's given me called Podcast, so I can share these lessons with you guys. Isn't that nice? <laughs> anyway, about a week ago in my Wednesday night men's class, we were all reading through James. And this brought about a comment by one of the guys. He said, you know, we as Christians, we need to start making a line in the sand and not crossing it. Really standing up because we've allowed a lot of things, a lot of things we don't agree with to take over our government, to take over our schools, to take over our, our, our cities and our neighborhoods. And we need to do something about it. When I made this statement, you know, I was ready to take a hard stand way more quickly as a sinner than I do now as a Christian. Now, this didn't make sense to them, so I had to explain myself. So I gave them this scenario. Me and my wife and kids went out to dinner one night. And while we were sitting at the restaurant, there was a group of guys sitting behind us. Now, they were having a good time, but they were being very rude, very nasty. And the language was horrendous. So I sat there and listened to it for a few minutes, and it just went all over me. So I jumped up, ready to fight. You're not going to speak like this around my wife and kids. Now, I say I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to put up with it now. As a Christian, I'm not going to stand for it. But I'm not going to jump up and attack somebody just because they're doing something I don't like. I'll get up and say, hey, guys, pointing to my wife and kids and say, can you mind the language? My wife and kids can hear you. Well, it was this point one of the guys said, well, you know, if they don't listen to you, then you have to be ready to fight. Now, this this made the whole class erupt in laughter and join in because we as men, we don't. Once we make a stand, we want we don't want to back down. We want to make our point and we're going to we're going to stand up. And if it takes fighting, we want to fight. But is that how Christian men are supposed to act? Well, after the class was over with, one of the guys, one of my brothers in Christ, he came up to me and he said, you know, you probably should have really hosed those guys down with scripture. Really set the tone for how we're supposed to act as Christians, because all that talk about whipping people's butt, it, it's, it's not how we follow Christ. And, you know, he's not wrong, but those guys know just just as much about how we're supposed to follow Christ as we do. I mean, we were just reading through James. James 1 and 19 says, My beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger, un for a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. I mean, it was reading through James that started the discussion in the first place. Now, after all this, it really got me thinking, you know, did I really handle it correctly? Did I, did I give them some practical, you know, lesson, practical advice? 
that would help them if they find themselves in this situation themselves as a Christian. And I believe it was me thinking about this to open my eyes to what I believe God was giving me. Here recently, well, not really recently, I have always been struggled. I've always had problems with my lower back, uh, tightness and pain. But recently, it's been radiating down my right side. Uh, almost as if somebody had kicked me and, and then I could feel it with every step I took. But I wanted to, I wanted to fix the issue. So I did some research, went online, read some articles, and I came across this article that talked about how we walk. Talks about how we pound our heels when we step into the, into the ground. And it's this pounding of our heels that causes uh, lower back pain. How we're walking is the attributing factor for our lower back pain. And you can see this by how quickly or how badly we wear out the heels of our shoes, you know, quicker than we do anything else. Now, for me, I know this to be true because I go through a pair of boots every three months at work. I walk on concrete all day long and the bottom of my shoe could be perfectly fine, but the heel will be so wore out that it, you know, it'll let in water. It will, it actually makes my, my walking and my back worse once it gets to a certain point. I can't wear them anymore. So I have to buy another pair of boots. So I figured, you know, this probably has a lot to do with me. So I, I did a lot of studying. I watched some videos and once I became confident that I understood the movement, I set out to practice it to change the way I walk. Now, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know how hard it is to change a movement you've been making pretty much your entire life. But let me tell you something. It's no easy feat. It takes a lot of effort and being very intentional. You have to be very intentional when you're stepping. Because, I mean, if, if you want, if you want to change it, then you have to do it all the time. Every step you make has to be thought out. And place correctly because you're going to revert back to your old step if you're not concentrating, right? I mean, it's not the natural state in which you walk will immediately come back because it's a natural movement you've done all your life. It was during one of these practice sessions that I was thinking about the men's group when I felt like God was prompting me. He said, you know, if you really want a practical application of what it means to be a Christian, I think I just give you one. Following Christ is much the same way as trying to learn to walk different, a different way. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Remember when you first became saved, when you first got saved? Remember how enthusiastic you were? You wanted to do everything right, right? Even when you made a misstep, even though it felt awkward. And when you, and when you misstep, you could see it so clearly because you were paying attention to what you were doing because you were trying to do what is right. That's much the same way I was when I wanted to change the way I was walking. I was very excited to change to get rid of the pain I was in. So I was intentional, very intentional with the way I was walking. When you became a Christian, 
when you first brought Jesus into your life, you wanted to be very intentional on what you were doing because you wanted to, you wanted to have a close relationship with Christ. But what happens when, uh, when life gets busy? When your attention gets drawn to something else because you got to focus on other things? What happens to your walk? What happens to your relationship with Christ? You find that after you've uh, been distracted and you've been focusing on other things that that natural way of walking, the way you've always walked, it tends to return. Now, it may not be as, as evident as it was before because you might have a little bit of the new walk mixed in with the old walk. And this becomes discomforting. It becomes painful. Because you're trying to walk two different ways. I noticed one thing when I was practicing my walk. And that was that my left side, the side that I didn't have pain on, it took to the steps almost as if I've been walking that way all along. I mean, it took to it naturally. And I thought that was odd. Because my right side, I had to force it with every step to do what I wanted to do. Now, you might think, well, that should be easier because you only have to deal with one side. But it actually, it, it, it made my whole body out of balance. And it made it way more difficult, in my opinion, because you're not changing everything, right? So you, you're, you're in sync. It's like one half of your body's out of sync with the other half. And it was just, it's, it was frustrating and it was difficult. And then I felt God prompted me and said, you know, this is much how it is with you and other Christian believers. You have one part of your life that's practicing doing what is right. Take yourself. I pray. I consistently study the scriptures. I go to church just about every time the doors are open. I'm a part of small study groups. I have accountability partners that come along beside me and keep me accountable. I have one part of my life that earnestly seeks to honor the Lord with everything that I do. But on the other hand, I have another half of my life that doesn't quite walk so straight. Now, this part of my life allows TV shows, videos, movies, and other things that have way too many worldly distractions in them to occupy my time. I find that I laugh at inappropriate jokes when they're told in my hearing, when they're worldly funny. I allow gossip to not only pass my ears, but also cross my lips. I still have a part of me that craves the finer things in life. Even though I tell myself that I'm no longer going to chase after these things, I end up calling myself a liar by my actions and doing just that. I have two halves of myself that are not in spiritual harmony. Two halves of my body that are not working the same way. Well, that's kind of why we see some people, the first time they come to Christ, they've never known Christ at all. They've never been to church. They never knew anything about God. When they come to Christ for the first time, they end up growing more spiritual and looking more like Christ than long-time churchgoers. It's my observation that these people, the reason why they change, the reason why they look more like Christ is because 
every part of their, their being has to change. They have to change everything. And such a radical life change that they become spiritually deeper because they're not one foot in and one foot out. They're not a lukewarm Christian. They're all in. Our pastor's been saying quite often of late that salvation is a free gift, but discipleship will cost you your life. Now, I find this, I find this to be very true. It kind of reminds me of David in 1 Chronicles 21. Now, if you remember, the devil had filled David's heart to take a census. He wanted to, he wanted to count the fighting men of, of Israel. So he sent out his men to, to go around to all the people and count all the fighting men. Even though they argued against it, he demanded it be done. And after it was all done, David realized he had sinned. And he begged the Lord. He, he pleaded with the Lord to forgive him and, and to lay the blame at his feet. God's wrath was released onto the people in the form of a plague. And this plague was killing people. And David, he weeped and, and begged God to, to turn the, turn his wrath from the people. And God told him, he said, go to, go to the threshing floor of Ornan. And there you should build an altar and sacrifice to the Lord. So David went to Ornan and asked him to buy it. But remember, Ornan wanted to give it to David. Now I'll start reading here in verse 21. It says, David came to Ornan. And when Ornan looked out and saw David, he left the threshing floor and bowed face down before David. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the sight of the threshing floor, that I may build an altar to the Lord. Sell it to me for the full price, so that the plague upon the people may be halted. Ornan said to David, My lord the king may take whatever seems good to him. Look, I will give you the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledge for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. No, replied David, I insist on paying the full price, for I will not take to the Lord what does not belong to me, nor I will offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Now he wanted to pay the full price, and he wouldn't come before the Lord with anything that didn't cost him, or that belonged to someone else. Now, this past Sunday, Pastor George reminded us of a quote from Martin Luther. It goes like this. A religion that gives nothing, it costs nothing, and it suffers nothing, is worth nothing. And I thought that was deep. Now remember, our religion is our walk. Now there's a lot of people, including myself, and we hate, we don't say hate's a hard word. We dislike the, the word religion. We prefer a relationship. We have a relationship with God. But, you know, honestly, a relationship, a relationship is just a byproduct of our religion. Because what is religion really? Religion is defined as a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes a supreme importance. Now, we all know what supreme means. It means first and foremost. Now, as God should be first and foremost in our life. He should be a supreme importance to us. When God is first and foremost and we are seeking after him, then we become more like him. Because we put him first and we're following after. My wife said this 
to me, I, I, it struck me as it's, it's funny, but it really made me think. She said, you know, I find that the, the Holy Spirit doesn't chase after me like he used to. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, when I wasn't saved, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me way more often than I do now. And I said, yeah, because remember, Jesus, the shepherd, he left the 99 for the one that was lost. That was you. You were lost and he found you. Now that you're found, what do you do? You follow after him. It's your turn to chase after him. For he set you free. He saved you. If you want the Holy Spirit to prompt you, chase after him and he will. So how does your walk look? Are you struggling like me? One half of your body doing what is right and the other half doing not so good at doing what is right? Are you being intentional? I believe that's where my pain comes from. I struggle against myself. You know, we don't like pain. It's, It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. But we must be willing to face that pain, fight through it. We must be willing to endure it for the sake of our walk. If we want our walk to get better, to get stronger, then we're going to have to do things different. You know, that's fight against the flesh. It doesn't end until we leave it. So we're in it for the long haul. Now, I understand it's going to be hard for some Christians to believe about suffering, about enduring, because a lot of Christian faiths preach that Christ has done it all. There's nothing left for us to do. He's done it all. All we have to do is receive receive him and, and it's all done. If if he's done it all, then why would we want to suffer? Why would we go out of our way to suffer? Right? Why would we why would we endure pain? If Christ has already won the war, then what are we fighting for? And again, I would tell you that a relationship that has cost you nothing, as Pastor George was saying this last Sunday, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. And the last thing you want to hear when you go to heaven, when you meet Jesus Christ, for him to say, I never knew you, depart from me. I was telling a friend recently, we were discussing God's grace about how it's extended to all. And God wants all to be saved. And it stated this in First Timothy. Verse 3, it says, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I want you to remember knowledge of the truth. Because me and my friend, we have a difference of opinion on how and who receives grace. So I'm going to give it to you, the scripture that I gave to him. And see if you come to the same conclusion as I did. Jesus told this parable in Matthew 22. It goes like this. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son, 
and he sent his servants to call those who he invited to the banquet. But they refused to come. Again, he sent other servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calves have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servant, mistreated them, and killed them. Now the king was enraged, and he sent his troops to destroy those murderers and burn their city. Then he said to his servant, The wedding banquet is ready, but those who I invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the crossroads, and invite the banquet as many as you can find, and gathered everyone they could find, both evil and good. And the, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he spotted a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said, Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? But the man was speechless. Then the king turned to the servant, Tie that man hand and foot, and throw him into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but only a few are chosen. Wow. Many are called. But only a few were chosen. Now you would hear many people say, and I've actually heard this myself, that that man didn't cover himself with the blood of Jesus. That's why he wasn't wearing bridal clothes. And this is true, but it's the how that we differ on opinion. Now some would say it was because they tried to come before God with their own righteousness. And therefore, they did not accept the blood of Jesus, so they were not covered. This seems strange to me. Now, I understand that by works, the Israelites, because of the way they were taught in the Old Testament, that they're trying to achieve something by works. But we're talking about Christ. All right, let's look at Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this. And I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. And having lost all sense of shame, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with a craving for more. Now, this part here, I, want, I really want you to pay attention to. It says, but this is not the way you came to know Christ. Wait a minute. Is there more than one way to know Christ? Aren't we all supposed to just accept him, believe in him, and then we know? 21. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him, in keeping with the truth that is in Jesus. 22. To put off your former way of life, your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true rightness, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin and do not let the sun set upon your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing should steal no longer. But he must work, 
doing good with his own hands, that he may have something to share with one in need. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, outcry, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So we see that we have taken off our old self and we put on the new. Is this how we cover ourselves with Christ? You say, well, that sounds a lot like works. I didn't see any works in there. I saw fruit. Fruit's a whole lot different than work. But this is how I read it. And I'm accountable for what I read. And I'm also accountable for you. Because scripture says, if I see something that is wrong and I do not speak truth, then God will hold me accountable for your sin. That's in Ezekiel. And you say, well, that can't be right. Why would God hold me accountable for other people's sin? Shouldn't we all be accountable for ourselves? No, that's not how Christians are. We are to be accountable for each other. We're to stand for each other. We're to hold each other up. We are to carry each other's burdens. Somewhere along the line, I think we've lost the understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And I, I intend and I am burdened in my soul and in my spirit to keep that fight up. To let everyone know what I believe to be the truth. We're called to be different. We're called to be like Christ. We are called to take up our cross daily. And what else? Deny ourselves. That's one of the hardest things to do. Sometimes we'll shoulder up to a burden, but it's hard to deny ourselves. That's a that's a fight that lasts a lifetime. I hope this has given you some food for thought. I hope it is about conviction and understanding. I pray that it does. I'm going to end this here. God's peace to you. Goodbye.